Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So as was mentioned, this is the last part of the broader time of Christmas, and that belongs to what we call the season of Epiphany. It's about those various manifestations, we sing about a couple of them today, um, that show Jesus to be true God in the flesh. Epiphany begins on January 6th, and it comes always tied, and I think we've celebrated at least one time here when it fell on a Sunday, but usually it doesn't. But it always comes tied to the wise men seeking the king of the Jews. It's to declare that moment, that event, how God desires a Christmas even for us, the Gentiles, with this King of Kings. In darkness of night, a light did guide eastern sages to the true light of God and fleshed at Bethlehem. A grand way to start Epiphany. But we know how short-lived it was. Okay? The wise men leave just as fast as they came. Really. And we even know the infant Jesus must depart from that holy place of Bethlehem and grow up in a darker place that we talked about last week. That would be in Nazareth. And so today, if we begin thinking about that star that the wise men came that starts the Epiphany season, the first Sunday, that's today, after the Epiphany, shines with a much greater light. The church always makes a jump forward every year. It's always the emphasis of the baptism of Jesus. And so we jump forward about 30 years to his baptism. There's no darkness over this scene, no Herod, no confusion of what's going on. To see very clearly that Jesus' ministry begins from John and those waters. That's his public ministry. And unlike the wise men that are recorded only by St. Matthew, the big thing really is all the gospel writers take note of this very event that we celebrate, which means it's a big deal. The installation of officers we have at Zion today, and we know how those are on term limits, and we also know this past week with the House and the government and all the problems that went with that to try to install a Speaker of the House and what that means but the inauguration of Jesus is so much more. By washing from God, God's Son was stepping into the office, accepting the office. The course, you have to understand, and that clarity of the water, which was not clear water, by the way, but the clear water of John's baptizing was a course that would go now from Galilee to in time end up at Golgotha. And so what a wonder that Jesus baptized manifests God's mission to intervene for our salvation. And there are three voices manifested today that we are to consider about this wonder 
You first hear John, and rightly so. He was kind of the conclusion of the Old Testament. But you see what his surprise was over Jesus. The baptizer understood his mission of baptizing and what it meant of repentance and forgiveness. He understood that. John's baptism, of course, was not identical to what would be later Christian baptism. So you've got to kind of step away from that. However, it was still a baptism for sinners. And right before Jesus came on the scene, everybody knew that he was making preparation for the Christ to come and what that Christ would be. And of course, John preached the ultimate picture of glory. You remember what he says? His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. An end times glory of Jesus as the Christ. But after hearing those words, what do the people end up seeing at the Jordan River? So John's preaching it this way, and then Jesus shows up this way. Matthew shows us Jesus coming to be baptized and freely submitting to the waters of John. And so rather than being active, that winnowing fork in his hand and doing all that, that heaviness we think of at the end times, no, Jesus is passive to John's for sin. There was a conflict, wasn't there, over this upside-down kind of holiness. And John made it quite known. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Such a request by Jesus was not merely an out-of-order kind of thing. It was also shocking to stoop to such a level. Remember, John would say, I'm not worthy to untie his shoelaces, right? And Jesus is stepping into the waters of John's baptism. That filthy water made possible by washing of sinners was actually, you've got to have it in Jesus' perspective, that water was crying out for Christ to take up God's mission of forgiveness. And so here's the thing where we drive by maybe a scary scene on the side of the road or a burning house or something, we just drive by it, or we neglect our duties that are given to us in life toward others. John's witness reveals a grace that's unknown that could only come from God's one and only Son. If I told you this was the most dangerous spot to touch in the entire world, you learn as a child, you don't touch the stove or the, the pot in the stove or you're going to get burned. Jesus jumped into the pot with great love for us. And that's why the second voice that you see is Christ speaking, desiring to stand in the place of sinners. He told John, let it be so now, for thus it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is the first word 
When you read the book of Matthew, this is the first word of Jesus, which means it's a big thing. The kind of righteousness to fulfill wasn't like a good work of a man righteousness kind of stuff, but this was the, the perfect doing that calls us back to the Old Testament. Righteousness belonged to the redeeming work of God for Israel. And it also was a treasure that God planned out through Israel that would be for all people. And so you heard today Isaiah, right? He spoke about this gospel that would be in the Lord's servant that he would send. And what did he say? The Lord said, I will give you, this is speaking finally of Jesus, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. John, as the last prophet, was to fulfill with Jesus God's promised way of salvation by baptizing Old Testament meaning the New Testament, and it's all in Christ. What the angels sang at Jesus' birth to the shepherds, you remember? Peace among those with him he is pleased. So peace is to trust. How Jesus stepped into the waters at the Jordan, accepting God's judgment, hanging against sinners, by the very hand of John. All of it. To be so now, at this moment, Jesus said, because the water was flowing to Jerusalem to fulfill a righteous salvation from God that would be in his perfect sacrifice, fashioned by his will in the Virgin Mary that was now to carry out this plan for sinners. The ransom would be paid by this king of the Jews, and now it flows out from the cross to the nations in Christian baptism. Jesus will not pass by and seeks to stand before his church in these waters that deliver good news by his grace to any. So I'm very happy to see and proud of your church for having the baptismal font in the middle. It can be in the front, it can be in the back. What I'm glad is it's not away and gone and put away somewhere. So that in spite of anything, you are running into the promise and what God proclaims by the church in baptism. And so you have to understand, it's no wonder the Father finally must manifest his word at Jesus' baptism because God's mission to the world is his son. There's lots of activity, right? Once Jesus came out of those waters before John, all this stuff starts to happen, but it wasn't the angels, like at his birth, but a, glory, a greater glory that shined at the Jordan. God in his fullness as the Trinity Embraced Jesus declaring the gospel unleashed in his son. The spirit bore witness by his presence. And the father delivers a word 
out of heaven. You're not going to get a more powerful word, not from an apostle, not from a prophet. God himself speaks from heaven. Jesus was already the beloved son, right? This was no adoptionism. He was already what he was. But the father was well pleased with him, taking on the humility of love none other could give our sinful world. So whether it's me or you or you think anybody in this world can take on what God is offering, I don't think so. Jesus has already stood in that place for us all, by grace, as a gift. So despite how the world reacts to the epiphany season over these manifestations of Jesus as true God in the flesh, with all the miracles of walking on the water, changing uh, water into to wine, whatever the miracles may be, all manifest him as God. And however the world wants to mock it or ignore it, Luther calls us to wonder today of God's fullness made known with Jesus before water. That's a big thing, everybody. And so, Jesus, and so Luther says... Had God so willed to reveal his name, it might have been in the wilderness or at the temple, at the baptism, in order that we might esteem baptism highly and regard ourselves as nothing other than newly created holy people by our baptism. You see how your baptism always speaks a better word for you? It's never a past tense. It's always present tense. I am Baptized. St. Paul indeed says it this way, that kind of light. It's to go with that glory of the, of the world. To go in that glory is to miss the glory of what our Father has given us in his Son. And that's why St. Paul today is very clear. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. One of the biggest things I ever learned, i got to check the length of my sermon here for you. Um, one of the biggest things I ever learned about baptism was that I died. And until you realize that you died, you won't understand the life you've been given. And it's always a dying, again, to self by confessing our sins and even facing the end of our mortality. But until you grasp to say, I've died, God took a hold of me and dragged me under. You're always going to have that fear then. You're always going to have something that you want to have on your own hands. But God drove me under when I was a child. But I wasn't alone. And neither any of you. And so this newness given to us as a gift shines as a humility joined to Jesus. But in no way does it mean hiding. Christ saw in John's baptism the need for his presence. And, it, and, and from that point on, from his public ministry, that's when it started, in his baptism. From that point on, it would only grow brighter not just in the good Jesus would give no matter where he went, but the goal to give up himself as a, as a ransom 
for many. The baptized, that's us, are to see the gospel is God's mission with his word to be lit and lived out so that none are left in darkness. God is well pleased with you. And so where you go, you are a light to the Gentiles to draw them to the true light of our lives, Jesus Christ. Anybody, raise your hands really quick. Have any of you been to the Jordan River in Israel? Anybody? Wow. I got to talk to you later, Shirley. What a blessing. And strangely, our district president, the new, the new uh, fella now elected, um, this was his first time that he's gone to Israel now, and it came up on Facebook, because I'm his friend, I guess, but, but it came up on Facebook, and here's a picture of him, it said, next to the Jordan River. There's something to say about geography. The Jordan, as I looked upon that picture, at least where he was, the Jordan River wasn't that impressive. It wasn't bigger than Mississippi River. That's a big river. And it wasn't as rushing in waters like I've seen in Colorado mountains. But, you know, it was never about the water or the sight of the scene, how it was set up, right? The baptism of Jesus shows us God's mission was to intervene for our salvation. And so God's only son came not only to Israel, born of the Jews, but to be for the Gentiles, and yes, even more, to save us sinners. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. At this time we rise and confess...